boss lady. What do you do when you're no longer the boss? I'm Christy Atwater. And I'm Andrea Gigline. And this is Hey Boss Lady, our podcast about women making change. Patty Hart was the CEO of a successful Las Vegas gaming company. Her husband, Millage, was an investment baker before they both sort of retired. Well, you know, in Patty's case, you know, I guess she did technically retire, but not in the way of thinking about, you know, your golden years. Patty and her husband, Millage, are authors of a new book, The Resolutionist, that helps redefine what retirement can really mean. Andrea, what comes to mind for you when you think about retirement? Well, at our household, since we've experienced many of those, I will tell you what comes to mind is a lot of arguments initially, because I was sure not ready for my husband to retire. Hey, I hear you on that. My husband, who was a fighter pilot, retired this year, and there's been a lot of difficult transitions, one of which is he's become our substitute third grade teacher for our son. (laughs) I'm super looking forward to this book, and I have an idea of exactly who I'm going to give it to. (laughs) Well, let's meet our guest. Patty and Millage are joining us from their studio in the Silicon Valley. Welcome, you guys. It's so great to be be here, here. Andrea and Christy. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for joining us. Tell us about the title of your book. What is The Resolutionist? Yeah, so we actually spent a lot of time thinking about this word retirement and the definition of it basically being surrendering and retreating and and going to bed, you know, kind of thing. And so we decided that as opposed to calling ourselves retirees, we would call ourselves resolutionists. And we chose the word because we believe that you have to be resolute as you approach Mm -hmm. this uh, phase of life. Um, So that's where the title came from. And a resolutionist really is someone who doesn't accept the traditional concept of retirement, but embraces this stage of life as one that can really offer adventure and continued learning and contribution and a lot of self-satisfaction. Yeah, you know, and I want to I want to bring out a point really quickly. You know, when I talked about my husband at the beginning, you know, he was having this conversation with me in his 80s. In Christie's case, is a lot like in Millage's case, the retirement is closer to the 50s than the 80s. So, Millage, you know, tell us, why don't you start telling us a little bit about the book and the the 12 main points? Sure. Um well, first of all, going going through a resolutions phase with Patty is is a dream come true. <laughs> we love those supportive husbands. We do. <laughs> <laughs> there are twelve resolutions, and we don't try. I mean, the book isn't intended to be preachy at all. Right. It is intended. It's intended to just to lay out the things that we have done to make this phase of our life the best phase of our life. Yes. And some of them like ripping off the Band-Aid, meaning create a dramatic change between your work life and your your next phase, is just one of the things we went through. As you know, we moved to London for two years as, right. as a way to transition. Right. And so these are just the, the resolutions in this book are just the things that we have done. Yeah. And some people may, you know, may use one or two of them. Some people may use all of them. But for us, these were the, the keys for us to make this phase better. 
Well, you know, one of the things I want to uh, bring out is, you know, the concept of retirement in uh, different phases of life and how I will say that when a man retires in his 40s or 50s, the world is cheering that they're the world's greatest success. But a woman could work 10, 20, 30, 40 years at something and she retires. And Patty, would you like to tell us how some looked upon your decision to move out of major corporate work? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it was really interesting. I think, you know, for Millage and I to go through this together and to see how the, how society accepted our decision so differently, mm -hmm. right? For Millage, it was accepted as a badge of honor. Like, yep. oh, you've been really? successful yes. so young in your life that, you know, this is, this is great. This is a badge of honor. For me, it was almost as if I was giving up is the way society kind of reviewed it. And I think to some degree, Andrea, it's a result of where we find ourselves with the women's movement, right? I mean, there's yes. still so much more work to do with the women's movement that in a lot of cases, it was my female um, business associates that were the most bothered by the fact that I was deciding to step into this next phase of life because we need good, strong women in leadership positions continuing to pull, you know, in the right direction. So, but in my mind, um, I was so enthusiastic about handing the baton to the next generation and have been so inspired by this next generation of women right. that actually contributed to giving me the confidence I needed to move on. Yes. I just wanted to add thing to, one thing to what Patty said, because as we were living two separate lives, you know, living in different cities, traveling a couple hundred thousand miles a year, our goal was to retire early and spend time together and, and be able to, you know, to really give back. And so yes. it should be a badge of honor, whether it's male or female. Correct. So how did that work out for you? Because a lot of people are spending more time together than they ever have before because we're all sequestered to our houses. Talk to me, was that a transition or, you know, was it always wedding bliss? <laughs> Well, I will say it was not all wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we still argue over who gets the home office today and, you know, these kinds of things. Because, I mean, I'm, I was so used, not only did I have my own business environment, but for most of our married life before we retired, we lived in separate cities. Mm -hmm. And so I even had my own space when I went home at night. And so now I find myself in this great compromising life, everyday compromising um, on who's going to be where and who's bumping into what and who's taking which car and all these kinds of things. And it's, it is an enormous adjustment. I mean, one that I think we welcome, though, we really welcome saying, okay, I really need to adjust my own personal self to be one of a, a couple as opposed to my, I've, I've been on my own as an independent person running around for most of my life. So it's been really refreshing for me to now actually have a true partner for the first time in my life. Yes. Uh, and I will tell you, uh, when I observed that you had your office with both of you, it did bring back flashbacks and not good ones when Richard and I had officed together at one point. And I knew I now needed a wall between us at a minimum. I, you know, you can love someone deeply. Millage, I mean, you've got to defend yourself here. But it, it, is, it is one of those things that you don't realize it until you're in the process of how you think and how you work. So how has that worked for you, Millage? 
Well, I I actually see it differently. I think it's okay. been absolutely amazing to be able uh, to spend more time together. That's awesome. I tell and really you. the the adjustment was me just coming to grips with the fact that I had to do what she told me to do. She wanted me to leave the office <laughs> and drive whatever car. So that was really the adjustment was me thinking that I had free will and then realizing I just needed to get along. Yeah. You know, do take us to some of your, uh, to some of the techniques that you list out, uh, because I, I know that when I read through them, they were very, very uh, reminiscent of the guidelines that I use in my work in positive psychology on how to transition. So take us into those. You rip off the Band-Aid. Yeah, I really want to hear about the rip off the Band-Aid because <laughs> yeah. the moving to London for two years, I mean, my husband talks about that. He moved all the time and now we've been in our house for 10 years and he's a little agitated and like, you know, ripping off the Band-Aid for us might be staying in one place mm -hmm. or it could be, you know, going off into the world. But I want to hear how you guys did that. Yeah. So um, why don't I take that one, Millage? And I, I mean, I think, sure. you know, everyone's rip off the Band-Aid is different, right? And But one of the things we found, we interviewed a lot of people as we were putting our book together. And one of the things we found is that people would make the decision to leave full-time work, but they would stay so connected to it, whether it yes. was going to lunch mm. at the same places or mm -hmm. reading the industry rags that they had been reading forever or going to industry conferences and, and trade shows. And what you find that does is it makes you really miss the positive things that were part of your work life. Yeah. And you're staying in the gossip circles and you're doing all of this. And what we found is that, that the people who actually took the opportunity to rip the Band-Aid off, which to us is really just creating a dramatic change from your working life, mm -hmm. and it can be moving to London, like we moved to London. We have a friend who ripped the Band-Aid off. Um, she left the, the software industry, and she's gone back to school to get her medical degree. That's a rip the wow. Band-Aid off. She's wow. spending her days around 25-year-olds, right, at 55 years old. Wow. So, you know, you rip the Band-Aid off can be, I'm going to take, you know, buy an RV and travel the United States. But it is about disconnecting in a way that forces you to create your new life as opposed to continuing to extend your old life. And we believe, and, and what we have found in our interviews, is it does contribute to your happiness at this stage. Yes. You know, there is, so talk to us about measuring. You know, what, that's one of the things that people in business and our listeners in particular, whether they're male or female, we have all been trained to measure ourselves against something, whether it's earned income, titles, you know, there's some way that we measure what we're doing at a given moment. How do you adjust that? What is that like? That was really one of the things that we probably spent the most time on because each year Patty and I would have a goal list and the goal list was, was pretty obvious things, growing revenue, growing profitability, whatever it may be. And it was very easy and, and seamless and understandable. And we realized fairly shortly after we left the full-time working world that that system was just not going to work at all. So we had to come up with a new metric system. And so our goal list now looks dramatically different than it did before. Right. And what we, tried, what we tried to do was think about what, what makes us happy. So for part of the goal list, what makes us happy? And if, making you, if you being happy is spending time with friends and in, in a unique setting, 
then you need to go about finding ways to do more of that. Right. And so mm-hmm. you really can measure everything in life. And so we just came up with a way to measure different things. And if it made us happy, we added more of it. And if it didn't make us happy, we found ways to exclude that from our life. Yes. Yeah, so that traditional, you know, just review your life, see what you like about it. And if there are points, then add more of it. If there's things you don't like, get it out of the way. I want to ask. Yeah, I was going to say it's okay. so. It's a so also so important this whole metric system because I think your point is so on point, which is this is how we've spent our life from the very first mm-hmm. report card in kindergarten, right, mm-hmm. all the way through. You've always been measured. You'd you've always had a yardstick, a report card, whatever you want to call it, and it contributes so much to your self confidence. Yeah. So much, right? Absolutely. You you really do have to feel like that you are a contributing member of society and you're spending time in productive ways. And if, if once you leave the workforce, you no longer measure your activity and your, your contributions, it really impacts your self-confidence because that's what we've used to bolster our self-confidence for so long. Yeah, I think it's great that you said develop your elevator pitch because I know I have relatives who have retired and they said, it's a conversation stopper when you say you're retired. <laughs> and my husband will say, sometimes he says fun employed, sometimes he says third grade substitute teacher. But it's like constantly trying on what is your elevator pitch for this new lifestyle. So I want to kind of hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so the elevator pitch, again, was something was a trial and error for us because one of the things we were finding is that as we, as we now were not working and we were participating in dinner parties or events or whatever it might be, we would come away not actually feeling very good about ourselves. And one of wow. the reasons mm-hmm. we found as we were inspecting ourselves is that when we're asked, so Patty, tell me about yourself, we're talking about what we used to do. Not about what we're doing now, Yes, which really says to the world that your best years are behind you, which Mm -hmm. is really unfortunate, Mm -hmm. right? And so we developed an elevator pitch, each of us, and we actually refine it and update it on a regular basis because at this stage of life, you have to do that. So, and then what we found as we were now telling the world what we're doing today, you know, in my case, I'm, you know, working to advance equality for women in sports through the U.S. Soccer Federation, and I'm helping to reinvent a theater company in San Francisco. Then your conversation ends up being about what you're doing now. And then when you leave, you feel so good about yourself. Um, and people do want to know what you're doing now. They don't want to know about the job you had 20 years ago. Correct. Right. Um, right. They want to know about what you're doing. And so, you know, Millage, you know, I think your elevator pitch was a really good example of moving from being an investment banker to, to reinventing who you are today. Oh, I want to hear. Oh, I, I do want to hear it, too. I was going to say that. Millage, please tell us what your elevator pitch is. So, so mine is um, I'm chairman of three different organizations, two of which for profit, one of which not for profit, and trying to eradicate poverty in the world is the, wow. uh, the, the one for nonprofit. And, and then what Patty and I both try to do is add one of the things that we think could be an interesting conversation starter. And so at the end of that, I would say, and I'm getting close to my lifetime goal of traveling to 100 countries. Oh, and, um, great. and so you can put enough out there where, you know, right. there's something that's interesting that is interesting for you to talk about but gives people a conversation starter. What I appreciate from what both of you said, you know, 
Patty's involvement with uh, the Women's Feder- Soccer Federation, the, what I heard her say was helping women, you know, helping with equality, advance equality in a sport. What you're saying is that I don't know if I could ever live long enough to have a goal such as eradicating poverty in the world. But those are things that what you've done, it sounds like, is take your ability to be highly impactful in an environment into environments that you've actually upscaled the impact Mm -hmm. that you're having versus revenue and budgets and all those other things that can preoccupy most of us for most of our lives. Yeah, I think think that's important. I think one of our um, resolutions is to leverage your success. And I think that gets exactly to the point you're speaking to, which is, you know, we use all of these, you know, skills and capabilities while we were working full time. And surprisingly, they can be applied to all sorts of situations in the world, whether you're, you know, working on equality for women or you're working to eradicate poverty or you're watching all the James Bond movies in chronological order, which was one of ours, you know, part of our elevator pitch at one time. And then the conversations that came about people talking about their favorite James Bond and, oh my gosh, I went on my first date to the spy who loves me, you know, and you would have these conversations with people that were so fulfilling. Yes. Yeah. So I want to step back a little bit because you guys are at, it sounds like you're in an awesome place right now, but what about the people who are just going through it or thinking about going through it? How, how did you go about finding your passions? Because, again, there's so many things out there, right? And it, it kind of is almost overwhelming. Part of the thing of retirement is the world choices is your own. Choices are unlimited. Yeah, yes. the <laughs> unlimited choices. Yeah. So how did you narrow it down? What was your process there? Millage? Sure. So, uh, so for me, um, finding the, the not-for-profit um, souls for Souls eradicating pro- uh, eradicating poverty. I found a place that was that the interests of the organization aligned with my interests, and I could find and it was an organization where I knew I could go in and have an impact based on kind of the resources that I had, meaning the um, kind of using my resources before, which is relationships knowledge of running a business, financial resources, and things like that. So it really was finding a, a not pro, not-for-profit that really aligned with my interests and was an area where I knew I could go and have a significant impact. Got it. How about you, Patty? Yeah, and I think it's like a, yeah, I think it's a combination of finding your passion and then being open to allowing your passions to find you, because I think it's a little bit of both. In the case of my work with the Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, I found that passion. I have a great passion for the arts and the value it brings to communities and how it helps build communities. And so I was very purposeful. Um, in the case of the soccer universe, it found me. So I think you have to have, you know, you have to have both sides of yourself working, but you also have to be very willing to eliminate things um, yes. because finding your passion isn't about, you know, charging after a hundred things in the world because then you have no impact. It is about similar to looking for a job when you were you know, younger, similar to finding, you know, those kinds of things in your life. It's about narrowing, understanding the kinds of things you don't want to be involved with yes. so that your scope becomes more narrow. And the thing when your passion does find you, it's obvious. 
You know, I know you use the word anti-retirement in your work, but for me, as a positive psychologist, when I'm looking at the list of things, you know, surround your, you know, leverage the success that you have. That's what we tell everyone to do. And, you know, rip off that Band-Aid, you know, that thing about, you know, taking taking the, the chance. And then, you know, when I hear about your passions and how you narrowed that down, it seems that you just decided to find those places where your kindred spirits were in the same environment so that you could continually reinvigorate your life. Am I getting what your book is really centering on? You are you are getting what it's centering on. And while, you know, the anti part of anti-retirement sounds negative, we think this is the best phase. And so really the resolutions are more positive, more uplifting, and how do you how do you continue to learn and make yourself better? And, and I will tell you that what I'm noticing is that the phase that we're in that's been accelerated in 2020 is that the word retirement may become obsolete um, in the future because younger people, you know, all of us have children with Christy being really young and the, the kids, the, the child she has. But when you look at what the different decades are thinking about and how they want to work, there's almost not a point where they will think of physically stopping, but doing the 12 things or 10 things or however many things that you list out um, in your book are going to become the things that if you guide your life this way, you actually have the ability to continually evolve no matter where you are. And that the Band-Aids are going to continue to get ripped off if you are that brave to do it. It just, yeah, I think yeah. that's, I just think it's so important, Andrea, what you said, because um, th- what these resolutions really are, are about managing through a transition in your life. And our transition happens to be moving to a post-career life. But one of the interesting things that we did is we started sheltering in place during the beginning of the COVID pandemic is we said, you know, oh my gosh, this is so disruptive. Let's get out our resolutions and say, hey, we'll these resolutions help us transition into this sheltering in place model. And in fact, we find that many of them helped us, right? I mean, it's the same sort of thing, right? This was thrust upon us. But I think your point, which we talk about all the time, is that that clear demarcation between working and not working is blurring and will continue to blur. Right. Yeah, I think your book is great timing because you could actually take this book and apply it to any situation, um, particularly the pandemic that we're all facing right now. But I also love that you guys did this book together. So can you tell us after a tough year for everyone, what gives you both hope for today and the future? I think one thing that gives me hope, and then then Patty, you um, you can build on that. One thing that gives me hope is the how people are using technology to continue to reach out and touch those that they love and to touch those that they need. And so I, I love the fact that, the, that while COVID has been terrible, it has helped people build relationships in many different ways that'll be even more important in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really gives me hope, a lot of things give me hope, actually, because I'm a hopeful person. But one of the things is to watch how 
our society has gone through a reprioritization of mm-hmm. our values yes. and what's really important. And, you know, I think sometimes the universe sends us things like the pandemic um, as a wake-up sign, right? A wake-up signal that says, you know, hey, look, it is time to reprioritize your life. And I've been so inspired by the creativity. Oh, my gosh. The creativity that I've seen come out during the pandemic is some of the best I've seen generally in the world, right? Whether it's, you know, the creative problem solving, the creative ways to stay in contact, the creative ways to continue to learn and grow. I mean, because we haven't, we've been doing things the same way for a long time. So now the universe has said, hey, get creative, find other ways to do things. And people have risen to the challenge. So that to me is just a great sign of hope. Well, Guys, I want to thank both you uh, for joining us today, talking about your book, The Resolutionist. We look forward to its release in January, and I know that the 12 points will be carried with me for a very long time. I'm Andrea Gigline. And I'm Christy Atwater. And this is Hey Boss Lady. Hey Boss Lady.